Thanks, Matthew. Well, good morning, and once again, welcome to the Family Bible Hour. In our last message on the book of Exodus, we looked at chapter 15, verses 1 to 27, which was primarily a song composed by Moses, which related the redemption story of Israel. And in that song, we pointed out at least three significant facts. First, we learned more about the character of the God of Israel. In verse 3 of that chapter, we were told that he was and is a man of war, and that the Lord, all capital letters, is his name. Now this, of course, is quite relevant information for us to know as we proceed with the rest of the story. To call God a man of war is quite an enigma. In what sense is God a man of war? Or even why does he call himself a man of war rather than a God of war? And then in that same sentence, he identifies himself by the name as the Lord, Jehovah in the Hebrew the self-existent one, the one who identifies himself with the tribe of Israel. He is now their God. But why call himself a man of war instead of a God of war? Could it be a shadow of Christ, the one who would one day come to this earth to a little town called Bethlehem, and be conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit, and be born as a baby to a virgin named Mary. Was this a subtle reference to the one who was God and became man, the God-man, Jesus Christ? I believe it was. For in the 11th verse of chapter 15, we read, Who is like unto thee, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like thee, glorious in holiness? fearful in praises, doing wonders. When the Lord Jesus stilled the raging seas and the winds on the Sea of Galilee, while aboard a tiny ship with the frightened disciples, the disciples exclaimed, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? And then in 1 Timothy 3.16 we read, And without controversy, great is the mystery of of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. And today, this God-man, this Jesus, the Jehovah God of the Old Testament, is seated in heaven on the right hand of God the Father, tells us Hebrews 1.3. When he, that is Jesus, had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Dearly beloved, today there is a man seated in the throne of God, and that man is Christ Jesus. Another important fact that we saw concerning the Song of Moses was that this song was to be passed down generation 
after generation to their children as a reminder of who they were and who their Redeemer was. It was recorded for them in Holy Script, and when they would sing praises unto their God, this would most certainly be among their songs. And the third point we need to make here is this. No sooner had the Lord rescued them from their enemy than they began to murmur and to complain about their new circumstances. They came to a place called Mara, but could not drink of the bitter waters. The Lord then showed Moses a tree, which he commanded him to cut and cast into the waters to make them sweet and drinkable. And again, a symbolic reference is made here to another tree, the tree of Calvary, where the Savior tasted death for every man, having been made a curse for us, and in our place took our judgment, which we also rightly deserved. Thus the children of Israel drank and afterwards were given a statute and an ordinance, and admonished to obey the commandments of God, which were to later follow. The chapter ended with verse 27, and they came to Elam, where were twelve wells of water, and threescore and ten palm trees, and they encamped there by the waters. This morning we are going to briefly examine the 16th chapter of Exodus, and use that as our main text for our, dis, uh, for our sermon. And once again, thank you, Luke, for reading the entire chapter for us. So if you still have your Bibles handy, would you please turn with me to Exodus chapter 16, verses 1 to 36. Exodus 16, 1 to 36. But as always, before we begin our message this morning, let's bow for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, again we thank thee for bringing us all here safely this morning and allowing us the privilege to remember our blessed Savior and to open thy word once again together as thy saints. We pray that the Spirit of God will cause our hearts to be fertile this morning to receive what thou hast in store for each one of us here this morning. For we ask it always in our Savior's name and for his glory. Amen. We read in the opening verse of chapter 16 that Israel continued their journey from Elam and all the congregation of the children of Israel came onto the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month, which was our May, after their departing out of the land of Egypt. Thus it was at this stage approximately one month since they left Egypt, for we are told it is now the 15th of the second month, and their provisions have all but been depleted by now. And so in spite of the divine presence before them, Israel began to murmur and complain against Moses and Aaron. 
They seem to be planning a mutiny, if you please, by their vociferous protestations against their liberators. Verse 3. Would to God we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full. For ye have brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Please notice three important things in this verse. First, we are a fallen race. And as such, we are prone to murmur and to complain about our circumstances, no matter what they are. That is the sin nature. We are rarely satisfied or appreciate what we have been given. We always feel we deserve better. Israel has been given their freedom. They have been delivered from slavery and are slowly being led to a safe place but their supplies have run out. They are hungry and thirsty, and as such are in a feisty mood. All of us here would probably react in the very same way. Remember, it has been a very grueling and arduous journey thus far. There were old people who had to be carried and helped along the way. There were crying children that needed attention and calming down and feeding. There were large herds of cattle and livestock that needed to be fed, and maybe many had already died along the way. They had to sleep on the ground during the night, afraid of lurking dangers and noises in the dark. And to make things worse, they had no idea where they were headed. They had to completely trust the two men leading them, that they would lead them in the right directions, even though the pillar of fire, the pillar of smoke, was before them the entire time. They were, as we were told in verse 25 of chapter 15, being proved or tested by the Lord. Secondly, when we are suddenly faced with difficult circumstances, we all murmur and immediately regret having come here or done such and such a thing, wishing we were elsewhere instead. We do not like uncertainty. It makes us uncomfortable and rebellious because we have no control over the situation. And so Israel quickly forget their suffering in Egypt and only remember that they at least had food to eat and longed to be there and die there instead of dying in the wilderness. And thirdly, and most importantly, they blamed Moses and Aaron for their predicament. This is the most evident trait of fallen man. He never takes responsibility for his circumstances. He, like our parents in the garden after the fall, is prone to blame others first. And sadly, the children of Israel were unable to see their blessings because of their seeming burdensome circumstances. Then in the next 18 verses, we see the Lord's gracious provision for his people. 
verses 4 to 22. The Lord tells Moses what he will do for the people in verse 4. Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them. There it is again, that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. The Lord then gives Moses instructions as to when and how much each man was to gather. Each morning as the dew dissipated, it would leave behind on the ground small round patties that looked like frost. The people, when they first saw it, called it manna, for they didn't know what it was. Verse 15. Moses was to instruct them that each man was to gather one omer, that is, five pints, for each person in their family per day. And on the sixth day, they were to gather two omers for each member of the family, because the seventh day, which was Saturday, was the Sabbath. There would be no manna provided that day. In addition, if they gathered more than what was instructed, the manna would go rancid by morning and stink and produce worms, and it would be uneatable. So they were to gather it six days a week, for there would be none on the seventh. And the two omers gathered on Friday would not go rancid for Saturday. Nevertheless, there were always some who disregarded Moses' instructions and went out on the Sabbath to gather manna, but found none. Verse 27. And this, of course, only provoked the Lord to anger. We also read in verses 12 to 13 that the Lord also provided quails in abundance for them in the evening. For you remember previously, they longed to have flesh to eat and bread, and so the Lord provided them. So they get to eat flesh in the evening and bread in the morning. Now, the only description we find for this manna is in verse 31. And the house of Israel called the name thereof manna, and it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. The last section of chapter of the chapter verses 23 to 36 gives us more details concerning the gathering of manna and the procedure thereof. In this section we also see the Lord setting down certain laws which will be more fully described in the following chapters especially in chapter 20 of the book of Exodus. But here, interspersed, is the importance of the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, our Saturday. No work in gathering manna was allowed, verse 26. On the Sabbath day, they were to remain in their dwellings. They were not to go wandering about, verse 29. It was to be their day of rest, verse 30. So the people rested on the seventh day. For 40 years, the children of Israel were caused to wander in the wilderness, primarily because of their disobedience and rebellion. 
And yet in spite of their stubbornness and opposition to the laws of the Lord, God graciously nonetheless fed them manna until they came into the land of Canaan in verse 35. But before the chapter comes to a close, the Lord instructs Moses in verses 32 to 34 to make a reminder of all generations of his miraculous provision of this manna and his feeding Israel when he brought them out of the land of Egypt. Fill an omer of it, that is, the manna, to be kept for your generations, that they may see the bread wherewith I have fed you in the wilderness when I brought you forth from the land of Egypt. Verse 33. And Moses said unto Aaron, Take a pot and put an omer full of manna therein and lay it up before the Lord to be kept for your generations. Verse 34. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron laid it up before the testimony to be kept. Now this pot of manna was later placed inside the Ark of the Covenant, along with Aaron's rod which budded. In Hebrews 9, 4, we read that the Ark of the Covenant, which was overladen with gold, contained the golden pot that had the manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. Now, what was so amazing here and also a divine miracle was that this manna was completely preserved from waste and corruption for all those generations. This was to be a reminder to all generations that bread that was eaten was never to be forgotten or the one who miraculously provided it. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul refers to this manna, this bread that came down from heaven as spiritual meat. Also in the Gospel of John, verses 47 to 51, our Lord Jesus identifies himself with that manna which came down from heaven. Verse 47, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Christ himself is the true manna, the bread of life, of whom this manna in Exodus 16 was a figure or a picture. Just as this manna was food for the children of Israel while in the wilderness, so too is Christ our spiritual food while we as the church remain in the world. And as the Israelites gathered manna each morning to eat, so we too must each morning feed on Christ and his word. Just as there was always enough manna for all to eat too, so there is enough of Christ for each of us to have all of him. 
And those who feed on him daily shall never hunger nor thirst and shall die no more. And with them, God will forever be well pleased. And so we come to the end of our sermon for this morning. But before I step down from this platform, as always, I must ask you some very serious questions. Are you in Christ this morning? Are you really his? You either are or you are not. There is no in between. And if you are uncertain where you stand this morning, then that is proof to you that you are not saved and that you need to re-examine yourself whether you are in the faith. The Bible tells us very clearly and very simply in Ephesians 2, verses 8 to 9, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. It is so wonderful to know that there is absolutely nothing we could possibly do to save ourselves, but to believe and by faith receive the gift of God. And that gift is his son, Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Oh, won't you do so now if you haven't done so already? Turn from your sins. And believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. Let's pray. Father, we thank thee once again for allowing us to be here this morning. We thank thee, Lord, for leaving with us thy divine testimony. Thou hast from the beginning promised to preserve every word of it. It is divinely inspired and divinely preserved. And this morning, when we open thy word and read its hallowed pages, it is no different than God speaking directly to us. And so we thank thee for thy word. But Lord, we pray that each of us might take it more seriously each day and to read it diligently, to believe it and to obey it. For we ask it always in our Savior's name and for his glory. Amen. Uh, we have just a couple of minutes left. Why don't we sing uh, number 411 in the red hymn books, Christ Liveth in Me.